Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ruler Long Reads is supported by Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Lacquer is a team that looks out for each other. Their collective cover is made for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Lacquer has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head. No more fixed up front premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective. Fixing, replacing, helping, whatever. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things do go wrong, Lacquer's got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, so no depreciation or excess. Lacquer does not do annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. If you're new to Lacquer.co, you can get a £10 credit by signing up today. Use the code RULER. Now then, here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Rouleur magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Chenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to Rouleur.cc. You know this makes sense. Learning to Fly by Daniel Stewart, read by Hannah Braxton Brown. Daniel wanted to be a pro cyclist, not just any pro cyclist, but the second coming of Sean Kelly. The story of a young man's journey from Belfast to Belgium and on to France, and the final realisation that he would not be the next king of the classics. Download the Ruler app, and the whole of issue 20.6, in which this feature is published, is currently available for free. Use the code learning to fly, all one word. Part 1 Daedalus. I was going to call this piece Icarus, but I'm not a documentarian, and I don't know any Russians. Daedalus, among other things, was responsible for 1. Constructing the famous wings which led to his only son's death 2. Being kidnapped in a labyrinth that he designed and created Yes, sounds a lot like my adolescence Stumbling through a series of random events Taking me from a shit car's glove box to a glossy Spanish hotel This is the life and death of my cycling career How did it all start? Like most cycling careers, I suppose in a front garden. My childhood home had a spongy emerald lawn. I remember glaring at it whilst my father taught me to ride a bike on the hard concrete, running alongside it. Large hands propelled a little arse down the driveway. Tiny wheels rolled forward and onto the street. Elbows flexed, and I remained upright. Am I doing this myself, or is the old man still there? Twirling my head back to check, the handlebars turned with me. Crash, Bang, wallop, face screams, 
pile up the first of many. Lapping the block, jumping the curbs, cycling became a game for when there was no one willing to come out and play. In time, it became the only thing to fill in the gap. I'm still only at home on my bike. Reveling in the independence, it was the primary mode of transport, a staple in the working people of East Belfast's daily commute. I was that fool of a kid, bouncing his bike along the bloody pavements, dodging reversing cars, zooming all the way to school. Here comes the shit car. I was in my late teens when I started racing. My father, Big Hand Stan, once again features. Not a teacher on this occasion, but a chauffeur. He's driving me to my first road race, the Northern Ireland Cycling Championships. Spokes jingle behind us as fat raindrops pang against the car's hideous tall windscreen. Stan's stance is upright, rigid, hesitant, and so is his driving. I'm 15 and he's doing my head in. His thick fists are a vice on the steering wheel as he grumbles along to the race sign-on. Eyeballs like eight balls and they stay locked to the soaked black road ahead. My eyes are fine. Ignorant but fierce. They bore a hole into the glove box. Clear, unlike the day, a thought thunders into my head. Whatever happens, you can be the best at this. Although always into some sort of sport, I'd never thought about standing out or punching above my weight. I was always there to take part, to be part of something. This time, it was different. Stan still gripped and steered. Then he parked. I unpacked and dressed. Then raced. Pelting showers slapped young backs, and I reveled in my first experience with the mania of underage bike racing. Driven thoughts flooded my young mind as the heavens stayed open. I would stay with the leaders. Soon, I was back in Stan's groaning auto. His tender hooks eased on the wheel a tad more relaxed, a smile flowing onto his face. He looked at me as I resumed staring at the glove box. Only this time, a medal was around my neck. Summers passed and weekends whistled by. I've a lot to thank Big Hand Stan for. There for my first podium, there for my first win. He was also there for my first stream of tears, witness to that first tantrum. But he wasn't there at school, and school was a fucking drag. Nearly seven years out of education jail, I still feel the same about it. Jesus isn't coming back, and neither is the stupefied realisation that school days are the best of one's life. If peer-pressured paranoia, sandwiches that taste like plastic and washed-up teachers telling you how to live are the best days, kill me now. I didn't want a Stone Age ecosystem, a ready meal career path. I wasn't for UCAS statements, study placements, three-year degrees and guessing how to succeed. I needed anarchy. A world with a clear winner, always the strongest, the smartest, finishing first, throw away the protocols, policies, processes. No thanks to 9am and waiting for the clock to strike five. I craved a wave of noise, colour and zeal, klaxons, chaos and ba-ba-beep. Moments to unfurl on a team car bonnet. Opportunities to be hurled like live grenades, forward and back until they explode. I wanted to be riding or lying down, lying down or sitting up, sitting up or eating up. Anything else was wrong. This awe-inspiring, time-consuming wave is cycling. 
I wanted to ride that wave to achieve perfection. I wanted to be a professional cyclist. Ryanair flights are the cheapest to Charleroi, the Harlem of Belgium. For a cyclist, there's not much to see, apart from the terminal and train station. Once upon a time, a Belgian couple turned up there to collect me, and as an innocent boy, wet behind the ears, they loved me like their own son. They took me to more races than my dreams could imagine, and they endured me christening myself as the next Sean Kelly. I lacked both the atrocious Carrick accent and the prize money to stump up the plane fare home. However, a hunger was born to hunt for a glint, a sprint and a win. Kermesen are where a cycling soul is born. Across the villages of Belgium, these day-long carnivals are the pulsing arteries of the ultimate cycling nation. A hamlet in the middle of nowhere shuts down for the day, its epicentre transforming into a neon sanctuary of bumper cars, bouncy castles and arcade games. Around the carnival will lie a scale-extric track of lanes, car parks, towpaths and driveways, all fair game to be melded together to create a racing circuit. Sometimes 10 kilometres long, sometimes one. Traffic furniture will never be taken into consideration. The format will always be laps. Laps mean sprints, sprints mean primes, and primes mean prizes. After a couple of years, I was winning sausages from mid-race sprints, maintaining podiums amongst the bookies' big names, and gradually progressing to the type of odds a seasoned gambler may be inclined to take a punt on. Each way, of course. But I didn't go to Belgium for sausages. I came for wins. The ferocious hammer in my head sparked a decision. You're too skinny. You won't turn pro here. I had to go to France. Part 2. Plain Mad Civilian Have you ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? I mean, you don't have to watch it. Keep reading. Essentially, Jack Nicholson acts as this mad but sane criminal surrounded by actual mental patients. Starting his time well, he teaches mute Native Americans how to play basketball and the like. But then, within a vicious world of lobotomies and controlling nurses, the mad but sane criminal becomes a plain mad civilian. In this story, I am Jack Nicholson. By the end, you'll have to tell me who the nurse is. Let's introduce ourselves to the madmen. Exhausted from the boredom of Belfast, I opened up our home computer. Born a millennial, the online safety forums drilled into me from a young age droned around my head as I scoured for a stranger to help me in my flight to cycling stardom. On Facebook, I found one. His name was Serge, and he is our first madman. Small, middle-aged, and with a faint resemblance to Hal from Malcolm in the Middle, his eyes were a wizened grey, but his whites were wicker yellow. This madman was a good man. He gave me my first taste of French racing. With his EC Mayan team, I explored the gorgeous greens of Normandy, racing all over the northwest of France. Plouet and Fougere became landmarks in my cycling career, as did the local style of racing. A large loop from A to B, followed by a wicked lashing of finishing circuits. I fell in love. Attacking was the language. Never is there a breakaway in French amateur racing. Only a brief escape group, a whittled-down peloton or a strong and smart winner. I had found my cycling arena. But you didn't find your place. Correct, I didn't find my place, remember. Serge was mad, after all. 
Moving up into the team apartment in Mayen, I became a lodger in a top-floor flat. No lock on the door, but two Estonians, a silent dame and a washing machine you had to put your hand inside to operate. Conditions were bleak, but the sun was out and adventure is captivating. I rode around Le Mans, Evron, along the Isjur Canal and enjoyed my cycling. France was fantastic, but I had to find another place to stay. If I was going to, this country would turn me pro. Cue next madman. Facebook coming to the rescue once again. The man was Jean. Moreover, the dude was Jean. He had opted for a profile picture from the Big Lebowski. Eyebrows, sideburns, stories, smokes, that was Jean. A policeman, journalist, agent, businessman, team owner. You name it, he could do it. To this day, I still don't know what he actually was. But at this moment, I didn't even know what he looked like. After 40 minutes of waiting in the car park of Nantes Atlantique Airport, I realised that Jean wasn't coming. Stomaching an expensive phone call, the roaming charges ticked away as the flatline of the French internal call tone burned into my eardrum. Hello? Jean answered, belligerent as to who it could possibly be. Now, I clenched my fists. I notified the dude who it was. Daniel, where the fuck are you? I didn't know Jean. I didn't know what he looked like. I had no concept of where Ennebon was on a map. All that would change. I would soon ride for them. Between many occasions of idiocy, the Bretons taught me finesse. I could not batter them all, but I could climb. And with my brain, I could win. I came to France with a fire for success truly burning. In Brittany, it all started to click. I would soon become strong and smart. Two seasons went, trophies were gathered, and a Spanish December came. In the grand hotels of Calpay, cyclists are only seen in the winter, just as bats only venture out in the dark. I'm Daniel Stewart, but it could be under Kurt Bogertz. I'm here with Anne Post Chain Reaction. Cycling has taken over the hotel. Funny-looking SRAM group sets decorate Katusha bikes. Fabio Aru clops along the polished hotel floor, not concerned for the caretaker's workload for the day, but then again, he is the current champion de Vuelta, so does he need to give a shit about anything? Laptops, mechanics, soigneurs swarm from all sides, even when, excuse me, your passport, please? I chuck it over. She can clone the battered document for human trafficking purposes if she wants. Just give me the key to my room. I soon find out what the Grand Hotel used to look like because I'm staying in it. A world before the prostitution of air miles, a time of amber upholsteries and squeaking spring mattresses, I chuck my bag on the bed to prove my point. Who's sharing with me? What's the Wi-Fi? When's dinner? The five W's of professional cycling. But you only register three. Where you are can be anyone's guess. And why you're doing it? Well, why are you doing it? Dinner is now. Pray the hotel is prepared. If the restaurant is closed, cyclists will howl and hiss until it opens. A collection of hungry lone wolves without a pack. Dinner is a buffet, 
a tourist's delight, a cyclist's fright. So much choice brings so much pressure. Although identical to the normal slats of ceramic found in most kitchens, a cyclist's plate is a palette for them to illustrate themselves as a monk or a monkey. Opt for the opposite of all the foods you actually want and bring them back to the table, smiling, convincing every soul you've welcomed this wholesome meal into your temple of being on a daily basis ever since the last training camp. Table manners. Only open your mouth when you can think of something funny or deprecating to say. Whatever you do, don't show weakness, especially to the DS, the drill sergeant. Language doesn't matter. They only frequent one, that of the body. Fair play to them. How would you communicate with a smorgasbord of nationalities at the same time? Belgian, Dutch, French, Spanish. They all managed to invent a bespoke method of communicating fuck you without actually saying it. In a moment, I was fluent in being a pro. A DS made me so. Soon it would all fall apart. That's when we'll meet our final madman. Part 3. Jazz Rhythm Close the gap in a line-out. Get that gap from the bunch. Is it big enough? Between lifetimes, between triumphs, there is always a gap. Are you filling yours? When people learn I was a professional cyclist, the same line of inquiry will follow. And believe me, I've told a lot of people. Why did you quit? I never tell them the truth. Entertaining an assortment of answers, they're almost always bollocks. Here are a few examples I've churned out in the past. Number one, stating the travelling involved was a chore. I mean, most airports suck, but I'd much rather travel from Ypres to Estonia than Herne Hill to Holborn, like reality has me doing now. Number two, the life is not glamorous. I once saw Perito Rodriguez gather his family around a three-star hotel's dining table a week before Christmas, which looked pretty abysmal. But then again, I once drunkenly vomited myself into unconsciousness in an underground station, which I suppose you could say looked worse. Number three, it's not good for planning a family. This one is balderdash. I quit being a pro when barely 21. A family was not on my horizon. Other things were. The real answer is depression. I am Daedalus and the King, building the labyrinth and trapping myself within it. I am the nurse and the madman. I am the reason I stopped professional cycling. Lean, fit and strong on the outside, feeble, scared and weak on the inside. I just couldn't fucking do it. Every time I got on my bike, I was sickened by how privileged I was. I'm literally doing what I love whilst layers and layers of people below me don't have homes, go without food, will never receive guidance, live without hope, and yet I am able to spend my life with all of this, as well as opting to ride my bike as a full-time occupation, and still, I don't get the result I owe to all of them. The necessity remains for me to fill every moment I can muster with action and achievement. If I don't do that, I am letting down everyone else who could avail themselves of the opportunity and do better. I think you would agree that the real answer would kill any conversation. I talk about depression openly. 
And initially, I saw myself as some sort of philanthropist, maybe a white Martin Luther King. That works, right? In reality, I vent because it still hurts. I don't know why I have depression. The same way we don't know what to do with this life we're given. That's why some of us drink, others cycle, and I try and pitch to Rouleur around writing about it all. Usually, around this time, I would venture into a life lesson and why it's worth it. There's still hope left and more reasons for you to give me a pat on the back about getting over myself, or as we would say in Belfast, catching yourself on. But the truth is, I haven't. There's still times I can't get out of bed. Still times I can't talk to anyone without wanting to cry. I cried when I learned Adrian Costa lost his leg, even though I only met the bloke for a coffee when he was doing some power tests with Quickstep. I doubt he even remembers me. I cry when I reminisce about the fantastic professional cycling experiences I once had. Only last week I cried at Forrest Gump when he learns he has a son immediately points to himself and demands the mother tell him whether his child has the same mental disabilities as him. Will that be me if I ever learn I have a kid? I also laughed at the part where Forrest comes up with the shit happens bumper sticker idea. I do catch myself on sometimes because we do get caught up in our emotions. Cycling still provides an escape to get away from it all. Cycling fills the gap. I'll not leave you with a lesson to learn, but a poem to like. Written about the real Harlem, the period is in the 30s and 40s. The setting is an ever-expanding New York. Streetlights are yet to be installed in Harlem, unlike the rest of the city. So at night, things are dangerous, messy and uneasy. Just like the peloton, both inside and around it. Langston Hughes puts all that behind him in his word honey. Just as I now put all my real stresses behind me, still cycling, but outside the professional cycling bubble. Lennox Avenue, midnight. The rhythm of life is a jazz rhythm, honey. The gods are laughing at us. The broken heart of love, the weary, weary heart of pain. Overtones, undertones, to the rumble of streetcars, to the swish of rain. Lennox Avenue, honey. Midnight. And the gods are laughing at us. You have been listening to Learning to Fly by Daniel Stewart, read by Hannah Braxton Brown. Download the Ruler app and the whole of issue 20.6, in which this feature is published, is currently available for free. Use the code LEARNINGTOFLY 